Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Today, on this Independence Day weekend, and I'm so glad you are here, back at 10 o'clock, this just feels right, right? I mean, this is God's hour, 10 o'clock. I know it's 11 o'clock Eastern and 8 o'clock Pacific, but 10 o'clock Central's. It's where the Holy Spirit really moves. Yeah. Well, we're glad to be all back here in the, in the, you know, we spent June making sure we could fit everybody in the same room, and that's definitely the case, because I think most of us are still at home watching, from a, watching on live stream. And whether you're here in person or you're watching us on live stream, welcoming us into your living room, we say hi to you, or you're listening to this by podcast sometime later in the week, we are glad that uh, you've made us a part of your week. I believe that God's got something really special for us today. Amen. I really do. We are in a series called Unleashed, these keys to becoming free from these cages that we're in and talking to people, just these different cages that we're in. We've talked about getting free from this cage of depression, the cage of shame, the cage of addiction, the cage of unforgiveness. Next week, you're going to want to be here because Melissa is going to come up and uh, wrap the series up preaching on getting free from this cage of doubt. Uh, That's going to be awesome. But today... Uh, I get to talk to you about the number one thing of if, as I was, you know, sort of ranking the things that I hear from you guys, the number one things you guys have expressed to me over the last six months uh, that has kept us stuck in a prison of our minds that keeps us from moving forward in our walk with Christ, and that is the cage of fear, fear. And it makes sense, because here's why fear is such a big deal, because fear is universal. It's universal. It doesn't matter how, who you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how big you are, how successful you are, whether you have a lot of things going on in your life or not, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're married or not, um, whether you're super spiritual or not. Uh, all of us are susceptible to some fear that is lurking uh, in, in the shadows of our life. And for some of us, it's a, it's a, it's a fear that uh, is very immediate and personal and like existential. It's like something like right now, my health, you know, I have fear over uh, some medical condition or I have fear over my job, what's going to happen right now, a situation that impacts us right now. For other people, the fear that they walk around in, they're tormented by a fear of more esoteric things. It might be things like a fear of what's going on in society, a fear of of culture, of politics, what's going to happen in this election or that election, or the fear of the, you know, what's happening with the environment or things like that. So some people have uh, more generalized fears. Other people have, you know, what you could say is irrational fears. Uh, you know, might have a fear of crowds or a fear of failure or a fear of clowns, which is, I think, not irrational because they're truly evil. But um, that's just me and I won't go there. But uh, we all need to be delivered from some kind of fear, right? Fear is, a, is one of the greatest oppositional forces that we face. And for some people, for some of us, fear is just the subconscious waters that we wade in all the time. They are just always there like a low-grade fever that never goes away. And sometimes we don't even realize it. But when we start to think about it and the Holy Spirit brings it to our awareness, we can realize, gosh, I, I guess I, maybe that's my issue. Maybe I walk around. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to Uh, deliver some of us who know it and some of us who don't even know it that that's what our issue is this morning. 
to the, we're going to look at this morning what Jesus has to say about fear. That's, that's most important. We're going to unpack some steps to take to break out of this cage of fear and this lifestyle of fear. We're even going to look at what science has to say uh, about how fear works in our brains because I am a nerd and I love that stuff too. Um, some of you this morning uh, and, and throughout this series, maybe one or two of these messages in this Unleashed series, if not all of these messages, some of you I know are specifically for you, these messages have been. And uh, if, if, if you haven't heard all of them, I encourage you to go back and, and watch or listen to uh, the past messages in this series, because even if you think, that's not, that's not me, I guarantee you there's something in there that is going to touch you and, and deliver you, um, because this is what I, I believe that God has for our church at this time. So um, whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary this morning, you're watching us on the live stream from your kitchen, or you're listening to us in the car later in the week, whatever, wherever you are, I believe it's time to be free. I believe it's time for breakthrough for us. Amen? We can be free. We can be free. Um, and I'm just speaking that over you, because this is a time the, the world needs the church. The world needs church. I don't, I don't mean the world needs us to have church. The world needs you. The world needs the church to be the church. And they need to look at you and see a light in the darkness. Amen, like we just sang about. Amen. Uh, so this is not just for your sake. This is for all of our sakes. We need you to be free. Amen. Um, now, let's look at Jesus. When you, when you track through uh, the life of Jesus and his ministry, he spent quite a bit of time in Scripture talking about fear. And he, he spent a lot of time saying to, directly to his disciples or to other people, fear not or be not afraid. You hear that a lot. And I just want to be really real with you. Uh, sometimes when I read these stories and I, I hear Jesus' response to people, some of these people have legit reasons to be afraid. Like, they're not cowards or anything. They're, being, they're afraid for a reason. And some of the, way, so the ways he responds to some people, I'm like, seriously? Right? Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Mark chapter 5, there was a man named Jai. Jai Jairus. That's the hardest one for me to say in the whole Bible. Jairus. Uh, he's this local ruler, and he had a daughter who was really sick, and he came to Jesus to get Jesus to pray for his daughter who was back home. While he's talking to Jesus, he actually gets word from someone runs up and tells him that his daughter has actually died. I mean, she's died right there. And Jesus overhears it and turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid, only believe. Now I'm going to tell you, I know this isn't super pastorly. If anyone on earth other than Jesus tells me when my kid just dies, don't worry, just believe, I'm going to be punching them in the mouth, right? But Jesus knows something that Jairus would soon find out, and that is that Jesus has power over life and death. He has the power. Um, over in Mark chapter 4, this is one of my favorite stories. The disciples are with Jesus on a boat. And many of you probably know the story. A storm comes up it, it, really quick, and it threatens to drown them all, and Jesus is just sleeping. He is sleeping right through it. And understand, this is not some 100-foot super yacht or something like that. This is a little turn-of-the-millennia, you know, ancient Near East uh, fishing boat. And Jesus is just catching some Zs while the waves are just tossing this thing around. And they go and wake up Jesus. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus is just like annoyed. And he opens up one eye. He's like, seriously, guys, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? 
I'm thinking because we're in the middle of a storm, the boat is about to go down. We're in the year nothing AD. Life jackets hadn't been invented yet. That's why we're afraid. And he says, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? What he's referring to is the fact that just before this, they had just seen him heal a paralyzed man. They had just seen him heal a person with leprosy. They had just seen a bunch of miracles Jesus do. And he's saying, hey, wait a minute. Do you still have no faith? Now, what we see in these situations is that, that Jesus is in is he often juxtaposes faith and fear. We see this over and over. Faith, he'll say, he'll say don't be afraid, just believe. Don't have fear, have faith, right? So these two things are often the thing that he's, he's presenting as the choice before them. I want to say a couple of things about fear, because this is an interesting topic. Um, uh, first of all, fear at its core, fear is uh, an emotion. In fact, it's, it's one of the emotions that actually has more purpose you know, than emotions tend to have. It actually has a purpose. God gave us the capacity to, to fear in order to understand the best course of action to survive. So things feel fear. Um, you know, so if we say there's a lion, we think maybe I'm not going to walk over in front of that lion, right? There's fire. Maybe I'm not going to go sit in that. There's my six-year-old in the street. Maybe I'm going to go grab her before that car that's coming gets here, right? So there, it, has a, it has a purpose. Fear's purpose is to protect you from doing stupid stuff, kind of, right? All thinking creatures on the planet Earth experience fear, Every animal experiences fear. Any creature that was born without a sense of fear doesn't live very long, right? That animal walks out in front of the guys with the big teeth and says, hey, carnivores, what are y'all up to, right? And he's lunch. Or, the, or, or he walks over to the edge of the cliff and says, I can do it, Pew, you know, and he's splat. So, so everything, all creatures feel fear. So this is why the disciples felt fear in the boat during the storm, See, they're not, what they're feeling isn't demonic or satanic or anything like that. It's actually completely natural. However, what Jesus is trying to teach them is that we can live and operate on a level that is supernatural. Amen? Supernatural. So when we're on the boat with Jesus, we don't have to be subject to the same fears and terrors that life without Jesus traveling in a boat without Jesus would normally bring. He says, in fact, that when we live with him, we can have peace because he says in John, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he doesn't say you won't have trouble. He, won't, he doesn't say the storms won't come and they won't be scary, but he says, I've overcome the world. So he gives us a choice. There's a choice. Yes, this is a, a, there are scary things in the world. It's a scary place. But Jesus has conquered the world. Christ is in our boat. See what I'm saying? There's not many of you here. You got to talk louder. Yeah. All right. There you go. That feeds me. Um, where we get in bondage is when our fears, which might have started off as just that natural good caution, you know, in our head to keep us from doing something stupid. Now that fear becomes something diabolical. It's gripping, it's imprisoning, and it keeps us from doing what God has us to do, what he wants us to do. And when that fear stops us from doing, that means the fear has now 
taken position on the throne. But this supernatural lifestyle that God wants us to live in is only possible when we live by faith. So I want, us to, I want to remind us of this definition of faith that we've been using for the last few weeks. We got it out of Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the, the generation's translation. Here we go. Faith is a vivid vision. That word hypostasis. It's a vision. You're using your imagination. You can get a vision for it. You can see it of what you hope to happen that fills you with the joy of it happening before it's even happened. Faith is that vision that you're, you're imagining it. You can see it in your mind of what you hope to happen, and it actually fills you with the joy of it happening before it happens. It enables, and, and notice here, you remember we talked about how uh, your, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. So faith, you're, you're cultivating that thought, and it creates that feeling, creates that hope, and it drives you to action. Now you can, you can act on your, your faith. Amen. Now we can see why faith and fear are really two sides of the coin. Because what is fear? Fear is a vivid picture of what you hope doesn't happen that creates the dread and terror of it happening even before it's happened. Right? Isn't that basically what fear is? So, now, and it's important to point out, I know you guys know this, uh, but faith doesn't mean being reckless. Right? It doesn't mean running in front of the lion or jumping off the cliff. Uh, so we're not being reckless, so we don't use caution. What faith is, is trusting Jesus with the outcomes, right? It's saying, okay, I've done, I've done everything I know to do. Jesus, I know you are doing everything you're going to do. I trust you with the outcomes. That's faith, trusting him with the outcome. Amen. Okay, let's take a few minutes and unpack something that Jesus taught his disciples. Because whenever Jesus teaches on something, I mean, that's where I want to zero in on first because he's going to be the best preacher about this. He talks to them about fear in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to go there, you can. And uh, a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I guess now, uh, you know, we studied the Sermon on the Mount chapter 5 mostly. But here he's in chapter 6. And let's pay, pay, pay close attention to what Jesus says. He says in chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor, he was famous for looking good, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then he ends it this way. So do not worry, saying, what shall we drink? What shall we drink? What shall we eat? What shall we wear for the pagans? And that word pagans, he's referring to people who are not followers of God. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Ain't that the truth? Amen. Now, here's what I love about these words of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, he shows us between this and the episode on the boat, he shows us that whether we are worried about some truly terrifying existential threat, like I'm on a boat that's about to sink and I'm all, we're all going to die, or your fear is more on the level is of, I have nothing to wear, right? <laughs> what are people going to think about me? Wherever you are on that fear spectrum, chances are most of us in this room are somewhere on that fear spectrum. Wherever you are, Jesus cares about it. He loves you, and it matters to him that you learn to get off of that fear treadmill, okay? He wants us to start living a life full of peace and joy. So, so wherever it is you find yourself today, whether it's worrying about paying for a bill or you're worried about, you know, what you're going to eat for lunch after church today or how you're going to fill the car up with gas or maybe you're worried about that cancer diagnosis that the doctors just gave you, whatever it is, Jesus loves you and he wants you to live in joy and peace, Amen. He wants you to live in this joy and peace. Now, interesting fact about the passage we just read. Let's see how many of you have those FBI skills where you notice little details. What was the first word in the passage we just read? Anybody remember? Therefore, therefore, in verse 25. Now, what this means is that this whole passage that we just read is actually the concluding thought of whatever came before it. He told a whole bunch of stuff, and then he said, therefore, and so what has he been speaking out? If we zoom out a little bit and we look at what he's been talking about in the preceding 25 verses, we see Jesus has been talking about how not to order your life around performance, perceptions, and possessions. Performance, possessions, and perceptions. And and these things are actually the common concerns in our life that can lead us to living in fear, He says earlier, just to summarize, he says, when you give, when you're, you know, you're being generous, don't worry about being seen by other people or receiving lots of credit for your generosity. Don't worry about that. He says, when you pray, don't make a big performance out of it, like other people are going to be so impressed with you or or, or perceive you as super spiritual or or for sure that God's going to be so impressed with you that he'll, he'll answer your prayer better. When you fast, he says, don't make a big show of how much you're sacrificing when you're fasting. And then he says, don't obsess over accumulating earthly possessions because it's like you've made a master out of your money. You're putting your trust, your faith in money as your master who will protect you from ruin. And that's what so many of us do. Now, why is that a bad thing? Because God wants to be our source. He wants to be our source. He wants to be our focus of worship. He wants to be the one we look to for everything that we need. God. But when we're we're focused on our fears, then we're not focused on God. And what is God? He is the God of love. He is love. He wants us to not be focused on our fears, but focused on Him, the God of love, And and then we're letting love rule us, right? And love casts out all fear, But when we're focused on performance or perceptions or possessions, that is a recipe for misery. And and some of us live gripped by a fear of 
of uh, missed opportunities, some of us uh, unmet expectations. We have this idea maybe in our mind of how things should be going. How many of you started 2020, January 1, with a picture of this year? And that has gone straight into the toilet, right? You have this picture, and if everything was based on that picture, if it was built on that picture coming to pass, uh, then you might be a little anxious right now, right? You may understand what fear really is. Some of us are just born, as we grow up, we're given this script, maybe by our peers or by our parents or something like that, of, of uh, what we're supposed to do, how things are supposed to look. And we look at our peers who are getting into, you know, maybe someone, you know, someone you know got into a top college or someone else is getting, gets that really good job and, that, and they're more hope, high profile than what we have. Or they're getting promotions and maybe we're, we're a stay-at-home spouse or something like that. And we have friends who have a career and they're a boss at work or they, they have their own company. And we have this fear of missing out on something because we're home, like raising kids or something like that. And maybe we're... Uh, we're following people on social media. This is a big deal, right? And their life looks so much more glamorous than ours. Uh, and we're saying to ourselves, you know, at this point in my life, I should be there. Uh, and, and, and I'm worried that I'm, I missed out. I've, I've missed my, my point. Uh, or that, you know, I haven't hit that bullseye yet. And sometimes we're worried about our appearance just because we're afraid of what people are going to think of us. You know, that's the sneaky thing about social media is you could take 25 pictures and you put the one picture up on social media that has the right angle, the right lighting, the right filters, just right, and you throw the other 24 away. Nobody ever sees those, right? But none of it's reality. It's all an idealized perception of us, right? Since we're talking about this for a second and I'm already meddling, let's just continue. Uh, <laughs> here's what I've noticed. Even when we're not posting photos, sometimes we can reveal our fears in the comments that we make on social media or the things that we forward. I've been, I've had God, uh, you know, convict me about this in years past, just that, you know, hey, we can post some grand declaration about something, culture, politics, and this is this, and I believe this, and we're telling ourselves we're being so brave. There's a word they have for it. It's called virtue signaling, right? So often that's what we're doing. We're preaching to the choir of our friends for the sake of thumbs ups and likes. Uh, or, and, and we're really appealing to the, the basest level of people's fears and our own need for constant va validation. All the while, are we loving our neighbor? Are we listening? Does anybody get on social media and ask a question, genuinely wanting to learn something from other people? Explain this to me and help me understand so I can grow. Has anybody ever, have you ever seen that comment on social media? Are we making disciples? Are we listening? to maybe learn, to maybe connect with people on a personal, authentic level. Hmm. Maybe give ourselves a chance for a heart to be softened, to be humbled, to God's view of things. I, I've said it before, I'll just keep saying it, because you got it, but the person next to you, I don't know about them. Um, nobody ever won anybody over to their side through a snarky tweet, or a Facebook manifesto, or, or an Instagram rant, never has happened. Has never happened. Anyone won someone over to their side. Fear 
has never helped two people get to know each other better. Does it? Right? Fear only builds walls. That's all it does. Fear defends its territory. It never runs to the rescue of someone on the other side. Fear always holds the stone and judges who in the courtyard is guilty and not guilty. Fear never runs to the side of the person and says, where are your accusers? Let me take this, this hit for you. Never once did Jesus say, go into all the world and defend my territory. Never once did he say that. Because fear's never made a disciple. Love makes disciples. Love makes disciples. Love makes disciples. Fear doesn't make disciples, right? Fear only makes enemies, it only finds fault, and it only divides us. And look, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this as like the Messiah from the mountaintop, like I've got this all figured out. I have to conquer fear every single day. Every single day. Every single day. I have to tell myself, no, that's, out, that's reacting out of fear. No, that's that fear in me. No, don't, don't follow that. Don't do that. Backspace, 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 backspace. <laughs> Every single day, people. This is why the kingdom of God is, is not, over, it doesn't overcome the world through threats, right? We're not the religion that overcomes through threats with the sword or with force or with power because we're not fear-based. The gospel's not fear-based, it's love-based, right? See, fear says, I got to protect what's mine and I'm going to fight for a little bit of what's yours too, right? But the kingdom of God does not have a scarcity mindset. The kingdom of God is not zero-sum. It's not concerned with winners and losers. The kingdom of God isn't built on a fear of others. It's not built on a fear of looking stupid or a fear of being politically incorrect or a fear of missing out, or a fear of not having enough at the end of the day, or a fear of what others might say, or a fear of losing something that is so dear to us. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with those things. That is the kingdom of every other kingdom in this world. You've just described everything else except for the kingdom of God, of those things. Faith says my trust is not in my performance. It's not in your perceptions of me. It's not in my, my possessions. My trust is in God, the God who loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to keep us this way. Amen? That's my God. So what do we do? What's the answer to finding some freedom from fear? Well, Jesus answers this. He says this in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be given to you as well. Jesus wants to give us ultimate freedom. Jesus is into freedom, right? We keep saying that in this series. God is really into freedom. He's into you being free. And, and let me talk about the freedom that he's talking about. It's the only true inalienable freedom you can ever come, come by. This is not a freedom that's granted by a constitution. It's not a freedom granted by a courtroom. It can't be granted to you by a revolutionary war or a civil war. It cannot be given you to by any other man or woman. We are talking about freedom from fear. The freedom from fear is only found by focusing on Christ and his kingdom. Christ and his kingdom. I'm just telling you. You can try to find it any other way. That's how you find freedom 
from fear. You don't find it by listening to the things of this world or focusing on the things of this world or worried about losing the things of this world. Whether it's your health or your rights or whatever it is, it, that's not where you're going to find freedom from fear. Jesus says you can't add a single day to your life by worrying about these things or being afraid. In fact, this is interesting. Did you know research is showing us that fear, worry, and anxiety have a greater impact on your body, your physical body, than diet? It's true, right? We have a, we have a, a world of people dying, uh, basically of fear and anxiety, because it just sits there all the time. Uh, the Greek word that Jesus uses for fear or worry and anxiety in these scriptures is this word marimnau, and it literally means to be divided in half. I thought that was really interesting. What an interesting word to, to talk about fear with. To be divided, to be pulled apart in multiple directions. Fear divides us from each other and, and it, it, uh, it rips apart us, it rips apart our own psyches, right? And it's killing us and it's killing the church. Fear is killing the church today, guys. It is. The first thing I, I want to notice in this scripture here is that word first. Jesus says, to live free of this, this cage of fear, we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, this is, this is tough because this literally means that you have to make it a priority in your life. Your primary identity has to be that of an ambassador of the kingdom. That's my primary identity. It's got to be that before a dude, an American, a pastor, anything else. It's an ambassador of the kingdom. So, so this means you're not making God your last resort. After you've called all your friends, you've used up all your resources, they've all dried up, and then you go, you know, run into God. No, this is a reprioritizing of what we value and, and who we serve. It's making being Christ-like more important to us than being safe or being rich or even being right. Being Christ-like. So seek ye first the kingdom. Now, we've talked a lot about the kingdom at this church. Um, that kingdom it refers to the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Living as if he is actually lord of our life. That his will, making his will our own will. But what about this other word? It says, what about seeking righteousness and his righteousness? That word in the Greek refers to our thinking and our feeling and our actions, and so this, uh, in this idea of righteousness, Jesus is talking to us about how our life needs to be ordered, how our thinking and our, and our feeling and our acting, bringing under his lordship our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. Now, I just want to park here for a second. Here's where we get to get a little nerdy. Because um, I'm fascinated by some of the things that I've been reading about in psychology and things like this, there are some, some critical breakthroughs they have made in cognitive neuroscience lately and that support this idea that the, of the impact that your choices have on your physical brain. And basically, what we're seeing is that once again, science is basically catching up to the ancient wisdom that the Bible's been teaching us for thousands of years. And it's so cool when that happens. I love that when that happens. All right, everybody knows what that is, right? There's your brain. There's your brain on a screen. Um, it's about three pounds on average, uh, I think. And, so, and the, basically, that's the operating system of your, your body. It runs your you know, central nervous system and whatnot. Um, now, there's this term in science called neuroplasticity. 
neuroplasticity. It's got that word plastic in there, right? Because it's about, has to do with molding. Neuroplasticity refers to the way that our brain physically changes as a result of mental activity. Isn't that wild? Not even like, it's not about, you know, getting hit or damaged or medicine or anything like that. Just, just mental activity. So in other words, your thoughts and your choices actually change the physical structure of your brain and they affect your body. Now, uh, Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, we would say in his mind or something like that, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever we think about most is what grows us, it influences us, it matters what we're thinking about. That means how you respond impacts your mental health, it impacts your spiritual development. Now, this is how crazy this gets. What they are finding today, I didn't make this up, the research is showing us it is so powerful that the chemicals involved in the thought networks, those chemicals pass through sperm and ova into DNA to the fourth generation. I mean, think about that for a second. They affect your DNA. That means your thoughts that you're having don't just affect you right now. It's not just about right now. They have a future potential that we are just now becoming aware of. And so figuring out how to get off of this fear train is incredibly important, okay? Um, Here's a a quote from Dr. Caroline Leaf. Some of you might have heard of her. She's a well-known cognitive neuroscientist, and she's so brilliant. She's she's amazing. She's this best-selling author, and she's a Christian. She loves Jesus. So she's one of my favorite people. She says this, whether we switch on happiness, peace, and good health, or switch on anxiety, worry, and negativity, we are changing the physical substance of our brain. Now, let me bring this back to Scripture for a second, because Apostle Paul says this in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So everything that you are, your mind, your body, you offer it to God, give Him complete control of you, let His kingdom come, His will be done, not just in the earth, but it starts with us, right? But then look what he says next. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Dr. Paul, thank you, right? So when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that is the renewal part right there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's actually transforming you. This isn't just like religious woohoo. This is real stuff. You're allowing God to rewire your brain to fix the ways that it's been conformed to the world up till now. Because the world says, you should be afraid of everything. It's scary, right? We're allowing God to rewire our brain in a supernatural way. The pattern of this world is worry, it's anxiety, it's fear, it's zero sum, it's scarcity. That's the pattern of the world. That's what everybody argues about, right? So you can change those neural pathways in your brain, even as the Spirit of God transforms the fear in your heart and transforms it into faith. Hallelujah. One more quote from Dr. Leaf. The ability to quiet your mind and capture and discipline chaotic, rogue thoughts. Remember, we talk about capturing, taking those thoughts captive. The Bible says take it captive. The ability to do this is wired into the design of the brain so we can tune in and listen to God, casting your cares and being anxious for nothing. That's from Philippians. 
becomes less difficult when we realize that God has given us the equipment to do these things. Praise God. Praise God. This is why the Apostle Paul can say to the church, he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi who are being horribly persecuted. And he's writing it, by the way, from this Roman dungeon. And he's able to say this ridiculous thing, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, hey, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Rewire those neural pathways in your brain. Think about those things. Leave the outcome to Christ. You can't affect the outcome. You can't change the outcome. You can't predict the future. Leave the outcome to Christ. He's, he knows it, right? What we can do is exercise faith. We can take control of our thinking. That's choosing to activate faith over fear. To not simply be a passenger in your brain as it just drives you wherever you want to go. Just, right? No, no, no. Take control. You grab that wheel. Choose faith in Christ over fear of the world. And let me just say, I know there's going to be scary things. I know there's scary things happening right now. Legitimate worries. I'm not downplaying or saying that's, that's nothing. There's going to be things that make us afraid. There's going to be things that will cause us to respond in a fearful way. But what I'm telling you, no matter what it is, you do not have to live in that cage of fear. You don't have to live in the cage of fear. We can choose to point our faith toward a vision of what we're hoping for rather than the vision of what we fear and dread. We can point our faith toward our hopes. Amen? Listen, there is an alternative. The alternative to this is putting your trust and your comfort in things that could change tomorrow and will. Right? That's, that's the way the world does it. So you can do that. You could just put your thing, trust in things that could be here one moment and gone the next. You can trust in riches. You can trust in health and exercise and investments and put your trust in everything going just right and totally nice and predictably in order for us to be happy. You can say, That's, that'll make me happy is if everything goes according to prediction. And if you choose that to base your life on, Jesus says you will live a life of perpetual fear and worry, and anxiety. And it won't add a single day to your life, will it? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One, one translation says, have it to the fullest. That's why Jesus came, right? And when he said that, he is not talking about stuff. He is talking about freedom. Have life with true freedom. Freedom nobody can take away from you. May you walk out of here this morning with a different focus than you came in here with. This is your opportunity to be free this weekend. I want to pray for you. I'm not even going to ask you to stand if you have something you're afraid of, because I think we all do. Let's just assume this is all for us, all right? Will you just bow your heads with me and let's pray as our worship team comes on up? God, we thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Oh, we praise you. Thank you for that name that is above every name. We thank you for who you are, God. Oh, you are the way maker. That is who you are, Lord God. We thank you that you are the one who, who says you are. And I, Lord, I'm reminded of Paul's words to Timothy when he says that God's not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of love and power and a sound mind. So God, we thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. God, help us to walk in love. Help us to walk in your power. Help us to walk in the peace that you offer us, Lord God. And Lord God, if we're here and we need therapy, I thank you, Lord God, you help us to seek therapy. If we need some medicine, help us to have some medicine. But if we need prayer, Lord God, help us to pray consistently, Lord God, and seek out prayer, whatever it is that we need to do. Help us to be bold, Lord God, in pursuing a closer relationship with you, Father, so that we can have this freedom that you've come to offer us through Jesus Christ. We pray in the powerful name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen.